Good morning, Christ Walk. How's everybody doing today? Man, you guys sounded awesome during worship. I mean, my goodness, give yourselves a hand. That was incredible. Love it when, it, man, it does the pastor's heart so good. And um, know, I, I know that, that on those mornings, it's going to be really easy to preach when the, the pump is primed like that. And you guys are so um, engaged and leaned in. It was incredible. If you've got your Bible, you got a smart device, turn with me or swipe with me. We're going to be in the New Testament. We're going to be taking a look at Paul's letter to the church in Rome. So Romans chapter 12, and we're going to land there in just a moment. I'm really excited because today we are kicking off a brand new series on marriage and relationships. It's called First Comes Love, Then Comes Blank. And over the course of this series, we're going to be taking a look at the marriage vows that couples make we're going to be looking at those through the lens of the Bible in order to discover four key principles that can help us foster loving, Christ-centered relationships. And so whether you've been married a few years, a few decades, or you hope to one day be married someday, this series is for you. And, and although we're specifically going to be looking at marriage over the course of this series, it's important for me to note that these principles will apply to most any relationship. So um, I think it's something for us to kind of uh, uh, lean into, open our, our, our hearts, our minds, our eyes, our ears, our whole selves to what the Lord um, is wanting to speak to us during this series. Can we agree to do that together? All right, well, tomorrow is a very big day at the Snap household. Not only is it Labor Day, happy Labor Day, everyone, and we get the day off from work, but Sarah and I will also celebrate 19 years of holy matrimony tomorrow. I can't believe she's put up with me for 19 years. I figured that would get a hearty amen from at least one person. Uh, you missed your opportunity there, babe. Sorry. Um, I'm always hesitant to preach on marriage. The reason is, is because without fail, the weeks leading up to the marriage series, as I'm planning and praying and preparing, Sarah and I, we get into an argument or a fight of some sort every single time. And 99 times, 99.9 .9 times out of 100, it's always because her bonehead husband does something really stupid. And it's like the Lord's going, here's some illustrations to round out your sermon, you know. I don't know if it's that the enemy that happens because the enemy's trying to discourage me or maybe God is trying to humble me or perhaps both of those things are happening simultaneously. But you need to know at the front end of not only this message but this series, full disclosure, I am not perfect. I hate to let you guys down. Um, Sarah and I have an incredible marriage, but it's not perfect. I am by no means an expert on all of this. I can only speak directly from my experience over the past 19 years. And I can tell you that 19 years in, we're still trying to figure it out sometimes. And so what I'm going to promise to do over the course of this series is 
I'm not just going to tell you what I think. I'm not just going to speak only from my perspective, only based on only things that are based on my experience, but we're also going to look at the scriptures. And, and we're going to take a look at this based on what God says in his word. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, many of you might remember that rhyme um, from when we were kids. It's kind of where we pulled the, the message title or the, the series title from. Um, we, when we were kids, we would say things like, Blake and Sarah sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby in a baby carriage, right? We would say those things. I still, for the life of me, cannot figure out why in the world were we sitting in a tree? Who, who, who sits in a tree? I don't know. I can't, I, I don't, the, the rest of it makes sense to me. I can't figure out why we're sitting in a tree. But, but the, the rhyme, like, it, it just, then comes marriage, like, that's all that we get. Right? It's, it's like, it just, we just gloss over that. First comes love, then comes marriage, then we're on to the next thing. It's, it's like, like, there's way more to unpack there. That rhyme just makes it as if it's merely a stepping stone to having children. But, but it's something so much more than that. And so I, I really, like, for these next four weeks, I want us to really kind of drill down into that then comes marriage part. Let's, let's unpack and dissect that a little bit. 19 years ago, it, it's, it's hard to, to think back to that moment. And e- even, even in my mind's eye, sometimes I struggle to remember exactly what it was like. I remember moments about that day, but um, we stood in front of a small uh, crowd at Gate City United Methodist Church in Gate City, Virginia, and I looked Sarah in her eyes and I said, I take you to be my wife. And she looked at me and she said, I take you to be my husband. And, and while I cannot speak for her, I will say that in that moment, I was totally unaware of the fullness and the heaviness of the words that I was speaking. But we were making an endeavor together, and we were declaring our vows to one another. And a vow is, simply put, it's a commitment, right? And those vows, they're not just formal and flowery words that we say during a wedding ceremony. But rather, when we say, I take you to be my spouse, when we take someone to be our spouse, it's so that we can give back to them, not take away from them. And so there's a key word that comes along with that. And every single week of this series, we're going to kind of focus in on a key word. First comes love, then comes blank. And our key word for today is the word sacrifice. So I know you're all so glad you showed up this morning for us to talk about sacrifice. First comes love, then comes sacrifice. All the men in the room were hoping it was going to be another word that starts with S. Some of y'all will get that on the drive home. It'll be okay. Somebody got it right now. They're, oh, <laughs> Don't worry, we're going to talk about that too. 
But why, why sacrifice? Why first comes love, then comes sacrifice? Why can't it be something else? Why can't we start with something that's a little more fun, a little more enjoyable, a little more lighthearted? Why is sacrifice the way? Well, simply put, it's because it's the example that Jesus set for us. And see, our marriages, they were designed to mirror the relationship between Christ and his church. And that is a tall order for you and me to live up to. But the good news is, is that, that Paul, he gives us a bit of a how-to go about this in Romans chapter 12, where hopefully you've turned or swiped by now. And, and the, the, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, the, the first part of that letter is largely doctrinal. Paul is, that's kind of his, his magnum opus. He's like laying the groundwork for um, the doctrine of the church. But the last few chapters, and what I love about Paul is that he, he regularly does this. The last few chapters here, they're spent providing practical life application to the reader. He's told you this is how you should think, how you should believe. And then now I'm going to give you some handles in order for you to be able to put this to practice in your everyday life. And so we pick up Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. And Paul writes, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Verse 3, because of the privilege and authority that God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Verse 6, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, then speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, then take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Verse 9, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Wait a minute, Pastor Blake, that doesn't say anything about marriage in that whole discourse there. What does that have to do with my marriage? What does that have to do with my relationship? I'm so glad that you asked. For the next few minutes, if you're taking notes, we're going to talk about Five guidelines regarding a commitment to sacrifice. Five guidelines regarding a commitment to sacrifice. And I hope by the end of this message, you'll see how that applies directly to your marriage and to your relationships. We begin with number one, make a commitment to sacrifice. 
make a commitment to sacrifice. If, if we are going to sacrifice, then we have to make a commitment to do so. Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1, he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable, for this is truly the way to worship him. Now, Paul starts out there saying, brothers and sisters, that clues us into the fact that he is speaking directly to believers in Jesus. He's speaking to Christians or Christ followers. And, and there's a great chance that either in this room or watching online today that there's somebody that is not a Christ follower. You've yet to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And, and if that's you, I'm so glad that you are here with us today. You need to know before we go any further that you're not being held accountable for this way of living. But make no mistake about it. I believe, as, as Paul is going to reveal to us, that, that whether we believe in Jesus or not, that this is hands down the best way to live and the best way to go about life and marriage is to follow these guidelines and instructions. And so Paul starts out, he says, brothers and sisters, he says, I, I plead with you. Or some translations, that's the, the New Living Translation says, I plead with you. Other translations use this word that we don't use anymore, but I think we need to bring it back. It says, I beseech you. Right? When, some, when you're being beseeched, that's like when you get in trouble and your mom calls you by all three of your names. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you're being beseeched. You know it's serious when there's a beseeching going on. It's, but, but what we need to understand is that it's, it's not a command. Paul's not saying you have to live this way. But yet he, he's, he's desperately requesting for us to live this way. He's saying this is the best way to live. But you have a choice in the matter. And the choice is whether or not we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. There's our key word. But living sacrifice, like that seems like an oxymoron. There's some examples in Scripture. In the Old Testament, we have this example of Isaac. You may remember part of his story from Genesis 22, where his father Abraham takes him up to the mountain, and um, God has given him the, the command to step out in faith and, and offer his one and only son as a sacrifice. And so Isaac allows his father Abraham to tie him up and lay him down on the altar. And just as Abraham lifts up the knife to plunge it through the chest of Isaac, a ram he notices is caught by its horns over in the bushes. And so God provided the sacrifice. And so Isaac gets up off of the altar, and he continues his life, in essence, as a living sacrifice. And that's a symbol of what we see when we fast forward to the New Testament. The other example that we have is the example of Jesus who went to the cross and physically died. His, his body was dead. He was put in the grave for three days, and on the third day, he rose again, and he is alive today, and so he is the fulfillment. He, he is the, the pinnacle of what it means to be a living sacrifice, that he was dead, but now he is alive. He is the sacrifice that is now living, and so we are to pattern ourselves. Paul says the best way to live is to follow this example, and, and Peter, he, he underscores this in, in 
First uh, Peter chapter two verse five. He says, "And you are living stones that God is building into His spiritual temple. What's more, you are His holy priest through the med- through the mediation of Jesus Christ. You offer spiritual sacrifices that." Please God. We see over and over and over, and, and, and we, we see this not only said by Jesus himself, but also exemplified by Christ and, and through, through the teachings of others in, in the New Testament that, that uh, to follow Jesus, it's an invitation to take up our cross daily. It's an invitation for us to crucify flesh, crucify ourselves, our, our own desires, our own gratifications, and instead put that aside and follow Jesus with our whole heart. And so what both Paul and Peter are communicating here is that our bodies are not just for personal gratification. Instead, we're to use our bodies for worship. Many of you this morning, you, you participated in that. That's, that's why, we, why we open our mouths and we sing. That's, that's why, we, why we lift our hands. That's why we clap our hands. That's why we stand. And do those things. That's part of worship is an active thing. It, worship is a physical endeavor. And that's part of why we do that. But it's so much bigger than that. That if we're going to use our bodies as worship. That means that there's going to be some things that we start doing. That maybe we weren't doing before. I can't think of too many instances where we all join together. In a crowd of people and we sing songs and we raise our hand. Right? Like before Jesus we probably really didn't do that all that much. Not only is there things that we're going to start doing, there, there's some things that we're also going to not do when we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And, and so, so what, what Paul is saying specifically, he's saying we, we worship, we make this choice to worship God with our bodies as a result of his mercy to us. And, and to, the, to the audience and, and in the time that he was writing this letter, it, the pagan religions of that day, sacrifices would be offered in order to secure the mercy of the false gods that they worshipped. They wanted to get on their good side. But what Paul is pointing out here is that because of the work of Christ on the cross, it's not necessary for the Christian God went first. He took the initiative by sending his son Jesus as the sacrificial lamb once and for all. That's why we're no longer bringing bulls and sheep and goats here to the temple for the priest to sacrifice on your behalf. But Paul says that since we no longer have to do that, instead of bulls and goats and sheep, now we have to sacrifice ourselves. That's the call that is being placed on our lives. And and in, in the realm of, of Hebrew thought, which would have been Paul's direct audience that he's writing this letter to, to, to say the body, it would have been understood as one's whole self. In other words, it was, it was this idea of going all in, that, that nothing was being held back. And so ultimately what Paul is saying here is that, do you want to honor God? Do you want to please him with your life? Do you want to truly worship him? Then surrender everything you are to him, including your physical body, because of the things that he has done for you. We're not just going to lean into the parts that we enjoy. We're not just going to lean into the parts that make us feel good. But we are going to choose to sacrifice even when it 
hurts because this is the way that we truly honor and worship God with our bodies. We first make a commitment to sacrifice. Number two, we make that commitment, then we have to maintain a commitment to sacrifice. Verse 2 reads this way. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This is how the world thinks in regard to their path toward marriage. The world says that we should play the field and then find someone that we kind of like and then start having sex with them. And then we're going to give them minimal commitment so we can stay connected to that person, but we can also play the field and keep our options open over here. And then maybe at some point down the road, we'll step our commitment up by moving in together so that we can share expenses and kind of take things for a bit of a test drive. Then we're going to go into debt for a huge ring so that we can get engaged. And then we're going to go into even bigger debt so that we can have one of those big weddings like we see on TV. And then we're going to get married, but we're really not going to change much. And we're always going to have an exit strategy in the back of our mind. Over time, we're going to drift apart. Eventually, we're going to get divorced. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be nasty. And then we're just going to end up repeating the process over again, beginning with step one. That's how the world says that we are to approach this. God has a different path. There's a lot of young people in this room today, a lot of unmarried people in this room today. If, if that's you, I'd encourage you to like really kind of lean in right here. Here's God's path. God's path to marriage is to pray and grow in your relationship with Jesus. That's where it starts. It continues by being content with being single because Jesus is the only one who can truly complete you. Like adding someone else to the mix is only going to complicate things. It's not going to help to fix them. And then when God brings someone into your life, you start by building a healthy friendship. And then you continue to build your relationship on a foundation of your faith in God and your mutual respect for each other. Then you're going to enter into a fully committed relationship, but you're not going to have sex with each other. You're going to get engaged. You're going to plan a wedding that will celebrate your love and tell the story of the God who makes all love possible without extending beyond your means. You're going to get married and you're going to party like it's 1999. <laughs> you're going to have amazing sex. Should the Lord bless you with children, then you will raise a family together. And over time, you're going to grow in your faith and your friendship daily. You're going to continue to give yourselves fully to God and continue to give yourselves fully to each other. Then you're going to keep having amazing sex and you're going to love the life that you are living and building to each, uh, with each other. And then you're going to stay faithfully committed to each other and to God until death do you part. People that live that way, they have this thing called no regret. I know what a lot of you think, but Pastor, like, that's so old-fashioned to do it that way. Like, to put, prioritize purity and put God first. And like, no one has ever regretted sexual purity, ever. That's part of God's design for us. 
And, and, and what Paul is talking about here, he, he's, he's giving us a, a, a new lens to look at things through. He's, he's, he's providing a different perspective. He's saying, don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world. Instead, consider things this way. Like He's pointing out to people that you don't have to live this way over here. That there is a second way to go about it. And, and all of our relationships, especially our marriages, they will be most successful when we allow God to call the shots. When we choose to lay ourselves on the altar, when we willingly become that living sacrifice, then, then we're going to end up living as people that are transformed rather than conformed. That's what God wants for us. Because we were made to not only be witness to the glory of God, but to reflect his glory to others. And we do that by living his way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul writes about this. He says, And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. The longer we do things God's way, the more we are able to reflect his glory through the example of our life to those that are around us. And don't hear what I'm not saying this morning. My goal here today, I'm not trying to club anybody over the head. I'm not trying to beat anyone up. Like maybe you took the world's path instead of God's path. What I know is that we can't change our past, but we can change our future. And so today, we can decide that from, from this point on, maybe up until now, you haven't been doing it God's way. But, but from this point forward, you're going to choose to do it God's way. And then you're going to make that choice again every single day. And Paul tells us that when we do that, that the end result is good and pleasing and perfect. Is that what you want for your marriage? Do you, do you want good and pleasing and perfect? That's what I want. And so Paul says, if that's what you want, then, then do it God's way and choose to bring him glory with your life and choose to point others in his direction by living as an example. So if maybe you're, you're moving in the direction that, that's not God's way and it's more in keeping with the world's path, it's going to require you to make some really difficult decisions. Like there may be like a living situation it has to change. There may be like a physical relationship situation that, that has to change. But you and, and your spouse, or your future spouse, that marriage, that relationship, the kids that are involved, everybody that is, is a, a, a part of that, they're all going to be better off because of it. And it might be really good what you have right now. You might say, well, this is working for me. But it's not the best. And, and I, I don't, I don't want to settle for good when I can have great. So it might require that we make some difficult decisions. Make a commitment to sacrifice. Maintain a commitment to sacrifice. Number three, Paul talks about the mindset for a commitment to sacrifice. In verse three, he says, because of the privilege and authority that God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Verse 2, he says, change the way you think. Verse 3, he says, here's how to do it. The way that you do it is by realizing that it's not about you. 
I'm reminded of a story of two friends who met for dinner at a restaurant. Each of them ordered the filet of salmon. And after a few minutes, the waiter came back with their order. Two pieces of fish, one large and one small, were on the same platter. And one of the men proceeded to serve his friend, placing the small piece on the plate, handing it across the table to him. Well, you certainly do have some nerve, exclaimed his friend. What do you mean, asked the other. Look what you've done, he answered. You've given me the little piece and kept the big one for yourself. Well, how would you have done it, the man asked. His friend replied, well, if I were serving, I would have given you the big piece. Well, replied the man, I suppose we'll do it your way then. And so he kept the big piece for himself. <laughs> See, we, we'd all like to think that we're the second man. But our default is to be like the one keeping the big piece for ourselves. See, rather than sacrifice, we often opt for selfishness. See, the difference is, is that sacrifice gives, selfishness takes. Sacrifice says, I'm here to serve you. Selfishness says, I'm here to serve me. And Paul issues this warning in Galatians chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. He says, if you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. You won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. What Paul is pointing out here is this idea, this concept that, that Jesus sacrificed power and status and ultimately his life so that you and I could experience unconditional love. So our response to that in turn is that we sacrifice our desires for power and for status and for self. We sacrifice those things to him so that we can love others in the same way that he did. In our marriages, and our relationship, we have to battle the Burger King mentality. This idea that we get to have it our way. That's not what marriage is all about. The only way that we can do this is by realizing that sacrifice is the foundation of our love. That doesn't mean that, that we never say what we need or what we want, what we desire. It, it doesn't mean that we simply turn into a doormat for our spouse to walk all over. But what it does mean is that we develop a willingness to lay down our preferences for the good of the other person in the relationship. See, we bought into the lie along the way that marriage is transactional. That I'll do my part, you do your part, and we'll get along just fine. That makes it 50-50. Marriage was never meant to be two people giving 50% to one another. Marriage is 100-100. It's each of us giving our full selves to each other. That's how it was designed to work. Is that easy? No. Are you going to get it right every single time? If you do, write a book and pay tithes on the royalties. And we will have piles of money. But it's not likely that that's going to happen. There's going to be seasons that we're going to face as married couples. There's going to be seasons perhaps when one of you 
one of the, the, one of the people in the relationship, they're, they're going to be battling a mental health struggle. And there, there's going to be some times where they're just going to have to, like, have some space. There, there's going to be seasons where there's going to be financial strain in their relationship. And maybe that means that someone has to work extra hours or pick up more shifts or, or um, take on a second job. And so that's going to mean less time together. Or, or for those of you that have children, you're going to go through these seasons where there's going to be certain seasons where those kids, they're just going to demand more attention from you than they do at other times. <laughs> And see, the, the truth is, is that, that love is really easy when everyone's at their best, right? When no one has bedhead and morning breath, love is simple. But what about when they're not at their best? What about when they're at their worst? Like, the question to ask is, is how can I be a living sacrifice in those moments? Because that's the vow that I made when I took them to be my husband, my wife. It's not withholding our love because our spouse isn't meeting our expectations in that moment. And for us to do this, we, we've got to recognize, empathize, and respond with God's heart towards our spouse's needs. What this is going to require is for us to think differently by putting them before ourselves. We say, but wait a minute, if, if I do that, then that, that means that, that I might not get what I want. Guess what? Re let me remind you, it's not about you. You entered in this to relationship but for them, not for you. But the way that it would work is that over time is that as you put your spouse's needs first and they put your needs first, guess whose needs get met? Everyone. That's how God designed it. But we get it backwards because we want to put our needs first. And they want to put their needs first. And then nobody's needs get met. Make a commitment to, to sacrifice. Maintain a commitment to sacrifice. Mindset for a commitment to sacrifice. Number four, there's a method for a commitment to sacrifice. Paul gives us the method. Starting in verse 4, he says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. And then he provides this list. So if God has given you this gift, then use it this way. In this moment right now, we have 113 shopping days left until Christmas. Some of y'all need to get on the stick. You haven't even thought about it yet. You still have Easter candy on your counter. Imagine, I, one of my favorite sights, like I can see it in my, like, is, is, is all the gifts under the tree on Christmas morning, right? It's one of the coolest things. I just love that moment with my family. But what if this Christmas, what if everybody gathered around with excitement and you said, all right, kids. You can only look at them. You can't open them. There would be like a revolt. Like those children would burn that house to the ground. Each one of those gifts, they, they, they represent sacrifice. They cost money to buy or they took time to make. There was, there was time invested in, in wrapping them and putting the bows and the tags and placing them 
you know, in the, in the proper way, all of that stuff. But the only way that they can be of benefit is by being open. Gifts were meant to be given. 1 John 3.18 says this, it says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. You need to realize this morning that you are a gift to your spouse. What if you began to view yourself that way? Like the purpose of a gift is to be given. That means that we've got to take action. And so you should consider, how can I give of myself to my spouse? God has given me a gift to give to my spouse. What what does that look like? It's going to be different for everyone, but maybe for somebody it looks like cooking a meal. Or for someone else it, it, it looks like scrubbing a toilet. Or maybe, maybe your gift is, is watching the kids so that she can have a night out. Or your gift is, is letting him watch his favorite team play football. Or maybe your gift is, is to take her shopping. Or, or maybe your gift is to initiate sex. The question to ask is, what do I have to offer that can benefit my spouse? And then whatever conclusion you come to, put it to use. Take action on it. Don't just tell them you love them. Show them you love them. Because a gift was meant to be given. Make the commitment to sacrifice. Maintain commitment to sacrifice. Have the mindset for a commitment to sacrifice. Choose the method for a commitment to sacrifice. And then finally, Paul closes out this passage by giving us the model for a commitment to sacrifice. Verses 9 and 10, he says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. We see a couple of our church core values on display here in this passage, that authenticity is our lifestyle, that, that our love for one another, for our spouse, it's not going to be, uh, there's, there's going to be no pretense, it's going to be fully genuine. It's not going to be based on what they've done for me, it's going to be, I love them just because. We see that the, the, the core value of honor is our calling, that, that we love them because God loved us first. And the admonition here is is that Paul says that we are to hate what is wrong. In the English Standard Version, it says, abhor what is evil. Like, that's some strong language there. And at least one aspect of evil is having the ability to do good, but choosing not to do it. If I were to paraphrase Paul, it it would be ultimately what he's saying is, go out of your way to show love to others particularly your spouse. In Psalm 97.10, we read this. It says, you who love the Lord hate evil. He protects the lives of his godly people and rescues them from the power of the wicked. Do you want to protect your marriage from the onslaught of evil that is coming your way every single day? The way that we do that is that we start by going out of our way to show genuine love to our spouse. Maybe you've heard of this, it's, a, it's an older book by Gary Chapman, it's called The Five Love Languages. The Five Love Languages that, I'm going to save you some money, you don't have to buy the book, I'll just give you the Cliff Notes version right here. <laughs> Words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time, receiving gifts, physical touch. 
There's a free quiz. You can Google it. Just five love languages quiz. And you can learn what your love language is, what your spouse's love language is. And then the goal would be try to show them love in the way that they receive it. Like, if their love language is words of affirmation, don't buy them gifts. Right? Like, mine and Sarah's relationship, what, what you'll find is, is probably you're, you're the exact opposite of your spouse. I'm a 10 out of 10 on physical touch, and Sarah's a negative 14. And so my default is I want to show her love by physical touch because that's how I receive it. She receives it in a different way. And when I show her love in the way that she receives it, it translates a lot better. Like, like stop trying to speak French when your spouse only understands English. Verse 10, and we're closing, Paul says, take delight in honoring each other. Take delight. That word delight, it means great pleasure. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I think of Christian chicken, Chick-fil-A. I think of nuggets and waffle fries and sweet tea. And I think that every time somebody at Chick-fil-A serves you, what do they say? My pleasure. My pleasure. That's the attitude at Chick-fil-A. Is that the attitude in our home? Is that the attitude towards our spouse? When we have an opportunity to serve our spouse, do we respond with a smile, with enthusiasm, with positivity? Or do we get huffing and eye-rolling and grumbling? Wives, when, when he asks you for sex, what's the response? And all the men are like, yeah. I ain't letting you off the hook. Fellas, when she needs you to take out the trash or to change the diaper or to fold the laundry or to wash the dishes or to pull out the vacuum, what's the response? My pleasure. That's the response. See, protecting our marriages from the onslaught of evil, it starts right there. It's my pleasure to serve you, to meet your needs. It's my pleasure to put my thing to the side so that I can meet you where you're at. And ladies, your, your girlfriends in your coffee groups, they probably don't do this. And, and, and if you told them that this is how you live, they'd tell you you're crazy. Fellas, the, the guys in your fantasy football league, they're not living this way. And if they found out that this is the choice that you were making, they would say, you're just whipped. But my question is, is that for those not living like this, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? Because Paul says, Paul says we have a choice. But he also says this is the best way to live. And so imagine with me, what might happen if you and I, what, what might happen if we chose to live like this? 
How, how might it change the connection that we have with our spouse? How might it change the atmosphere in our homes? How might it change the way that your children view the future marriage that they will one day have? How could it change your, your ability and the opportunities that you have to be a witness to your friends, to your neighbors, to your coworkers? How might it help God to change the narrative of the story of your marriage all because you said, I'm going to return to my vow. I take you to be my husband. I take you to be my wife. And so I'm going to lean in to that sacrifice. I can guarantee you that it'll never be easy. I can promise you that it's going to hurt. There's going to be pain. But I can also promise you that it's the best way. It's the best way. Band's going to lead us in a worship song here in just a moment. As they do, I, I just want to invite you just right there where you're at. To take this as a moment of reflection. As they sing the words of this song. Ask God to search your heart. help you to make the choice to choose which side of this line that you're going to stand on. If you're going to choose the side, it's God's way. Choosing to embrace sacrifice and, and to live his way, but what are the implications of that? What decisions do you need to make today? What actions do you need to take this week in order to make that fully realized? Let's worship the Lord together.